creative company is so delicious, and the creative process is one of my favorite subjects. How humans can create something out of nothing is wildly exciting to me. And one of the best ways I love to spend my time is writing and recording my songs. Alec Britz is a multi-instrumentalist recording engineer, arranger, producer, songwriter, collaborator, friend. He's got this great YouTube channel and a recording studio called The Cabin. He's in Liverpool, England. He's here today talking about his creative process. His YouTube channel reviews lots of cool gear that you could check out. You can learn a lot about his recording process, and you can even hire him to work with you and mix your music. Hello, hello. Hello, good morning. How are you? <laughs> well, it's afternoon for you, isn't it? <laughs> it's the oh. Alec Brit. It's really great to meet you. It's good to meet you too. Finally, we have finally done it. Finally. Yeah, I mean, what was the first? I emailed you because of this thing, maybe, or... Yes. I, th I think that was the first video of yours I had seen. It was like, now, why does a console work for me? That's <laughs> so great. And you know what I loved? I just loved your energy, and I loved your musicianship, and all the, the, the instruments you were playing in this other video I saw, and you sing well and write well, and I just thought, I like this guy. He does good art, you know, and I, I want to get to know him, you know, so I've been, I've been after you all these yeah. years. <laughs> <laughs> so, let's meet let's say hello you know <laughs> well i'm so glad that we can finally do it and uh, it's, 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 it's glad to meet you almost in person yeah know? almost almost this is <laughs> as, as good as it gets for now absolutely <laughs> yeah How your morning been so far it's been wonderful because i've been anticipating getting on and saying hello to you yeah Perfect. so it's been good you've probably had a busier morning you've been doing a few things there I have indeed. I've been mixing all morning here on the side, um, which has been very cool. Wow. Um, and now uh, it's always nice when you have a meeting in the afternoon, it kind of breaks the day up into two parts. You yes. know? So I've been quite excited because it gave me quite a hard deadline to get the first mix out the door. <laughs> that uh, We'll have a good chat. And then afterwards, I've got some pre-production with the band. This evening. Oh, great. Well, how much mixing are you doing in the box these days and how much is on the audience? Oh, um, well, it depends, really. I think perhaps I've taken a small slice out of your book um, in some ways because I didn't use the audience for the longest time. I just used it as a summing mixer because of recall was a bit of a problem. So sure. um for me, there's you know probably between five and ten tracks happening at, like at one time in here. So recalling the console is nigh on impossible. Um, just want to make sure. Can you hear me all right? Is everything okay? I can. It just sounds a little like um, I don't know. Uh, maybe it's because I'm trying this new thing called live performance audio. Maybe Would this be better turn. if I uh, turn myself up like this? Is this better for you? Hello, the, one, two, one, two. The volume's better, and that's cool that you can use an external mic and headphones and have still control on your interface, perhaps, to turn up your mic. When I use an external thing, I have no control over my mic volume. Um, have you? Uh, are you using your Apollos or what? What was the interface that you had? I can't remember your the primary interface. I do have the Apollos for my recording and stuff, but for the uh, for doing this, I was using this little one that I use. I think it's Sterling Audio. 
that okay. I used for uh, remote recording. Okay. But this uh, is sounding like you're flanging or phasing or sort of in and out of a clear signal to a bubbly one. Does this sound better? That's awesome. There we go. Okay. Well, uh, I was I was uh, I was still unmuted on the Apollo's console. So right now you are hearing me through the Apollo console. Um, oh. Uh, yeah, I found a way to be able to use it for Zoom. So currently we're going through the Earthworks Ethos. Steve 1073 and an 1176. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> Gotta make sure we crush that vocal. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. badly, so I need the, need the compressor to grip it, you know? <laughs> right. Well, what were you saying you're taking a leaf out of my book about? Yeah, so um, mixing um, with the audience has always been a bit of a... Um, a bit of a... What's the... Like when it comes to mixing on the on the actual console, one of the main problems for me was always recall. Sure. You know, so um, there's nothing worse than that hopeless feeling when you're in the studio <laughs> hundreds of miles away and you realize somebody goes, "Hey, can I can I get like a TV bounce of that track?" And you're like, "No," uh, <laughs> you know. So you don't sleep for the rest of your time when you're working somewhere else and you're just trying to make it match, you know. Um, so I went in the box for, <laughs> I think, from April last year until about uh, December, give or take. I went completely in the box and I wanted to try it out because <laughs> I think one of the things that happens a lot with uh, the pro audio community is people are like, it doesn't matter. You can do it in the box. You can do it out the box. But most of the <laughs> most of the people who are saying it doesn't matter are the people sat behind consoles in my studios, and you know they're like, yeah, you know, I don't need it uh, because it's recorded exceptionally well, you know. So, um, right. I think for me, I wanted to put my money where my mouth was and kind of uh, really focus in on um, mixing in the box, but. Then something happened. I don't know what exactly happened. I think I was looking at the rack here at the studio and I was like, I miss you guys, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Because <laughs> there is this like this <laughs> of speed, you know, like when you use analog equipment, it's just got this beautiful hmm. uh, instant, like instant feeling. And it's obviously got a lot to do with your hands, but it's also got a lot to do with like Generally, like needles on VUs are bad, and <laughs> the audience, like, you're not looking at your input graphs as much. You're just going for it until it feels right, you know? Right. So, what I've done now is every channel on the audience has a recallable preset on my IO plugin. So, I use the EQs of the audience as uh, inserts on my using the IO plugin within Logic. Um, and I'll do the same when I move to Pro Tools next month. Um, and every piece of hardware in here as a preset within Logic. And once I've, uh, so, that, so that gives me 32 ins and outs, basically. Um, when using Logic, it will be 30 when using Pro Tools. Um, and what that means is once I've got the levels of everything running as I want them to, I've got my EQ stereo pairs down on the audience. Um, I've got Arnabies over here and my API 550s and my Neve 1073 and the 1176 and the DBX 160 and all that stuff and the Minultech mastering EQ and whatever else. Then I put all that in as inserts, mm. mix 
comes down to basically 32, well, yeah, 30 inputs. And I can then have auxiliary buses that uh, are routed to um, from, so basically as the insert uh, plugin happens, then I can take the output of that channel to an auxiliary bus. And then I have a channel created with that auxiliary bus as the input. And then I print my mix uh, with all of the EQ and processing in one file swoop. Oh, good. Uh, and then I'm using Logic as the summing device, uh, but my mastering chain still has the Manultec mastering EQ on it, you know. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, I am half in, half out. <laughs> now that I've figured out that I can do a bunch of stuff at one moment, initially I was printing one thing at a time, so you just have to like wait for ages for a song to play and you print it in place. Me like, too, yeah. Now I realize, hey, man, you've got 32 inputs. You can do 32 moves in one go. Right, know? right. Uh, as long as you have them set up. Yes. I was doing that with the tape deck, too. I was, like, bouncing things to tape so that I could get some lovely tape compression and then bringing it back. And I thought, you can do this in one pass. You don't even ha you just monitor off the, I'm like, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's happening as, it, as it's happening. Oh. Yes. <laughs> I don't have to wait for 50 years for one mix. That's, <laughs> that's, that's good. That's really good. I know it's funny because if you talk to all the pros that worked on tape and worked on big consoles, they don't miss any of those messes and they don't want to go back to tape for anything, you know. But I felt like when they took the console out of mixing, they took out the fun part years ago. So when I jumped to Logic in 2005 from being on tape machines in a big uh, Studio Master Track Mix 32 console. I was just like, where's the fun in this? You know, like this little mouse all day long, you know? And yeah. I think the mistake was they should have made the console the computer. Because mm. if everything was in the console and the, the screen was just a monitor, if you wanted one, you know, like it would be all right there with automation and everything and you'd still have all the wonderful tactile stuff and I don't know, it's then it gets so compounded with they've changed the inputs of this and now the CD burner's not in it, but it is in it, but it's not in it, but you need a separate CD burner, but now you need USB 3, but you had USB, but then you had this, now you need that. And none of the things are compatible anymore. Like you need a million adapters and then they don't work in the hubs and wow. <laughs> it's like, what are you doing to me? All I'm trying to do is write songs and, and make records. Come on. <laughs> I wonder if AMS Neve is moving in that direction with their Genesis consoles. You know, I know. It definitely feels like that's more of a, not necessarily all in one, but a lot more in one yeah. than not all in one. So, um, yeah. With that instant recallability. Um, I love the sound of those consoles. I had a band that recently, they wanted mm. to retract something they recorded recently. And it was, mm. their whole album was recorded on the Neve Genesis. A console with the uh, 1073 Freeze, but with the 88R EQs on it. Mm. And, uh, it just had the stems, and we pulled the stems up, and it sounded like the mix was like four meters deep and like six meters wide. You know, it was a <laughs> wonderful feeling. You know? Wow. Yeah. I, I originally wanted to get a Trident 88 or a 78 or a 68, and I liked the way they sounded, but I also liked that they were going to give me a big educator's discount. 
yeah. <laughs> and I kept putting it off for years and years and years. And then I saw this thing come up used. And when they started talking about the integration and all the different ways you can connect it, I went, wait a minute, this is probably more like it. But I still find it interesting that, you know, it's got the split and everything's on top of each other. I still, yeah. it's nice that it's compact. And I don't have to keep walking across the room to do stuff, but it's weird because of the limitations. You just don't get the full EQ on each channel then. And yes. you don't, you know, so it's like, well, what do I want to put on which? And because mm. my Apollos are separate, they're two yeah. eight channels, there's a, a timing difference every once in a while. The converters don't react in the same way. And sometimes I have a delay. And so then I just do what everybody says, like just do some subbing and yeah, just kind of I don't know. It's disappointing. It's like, it's not really a mix on here and how mm. much of it should I mix there? But then this doesn't have any shelving. So I could do some shelving EQ over there. And it, it's like, I have the best of both, but my brain is still stuck on one or the other. And I'm still trying to integrate how to think about it. Mm. I, I think what's what's wonderful, and I think we've kind of touched on this a bunch with our emails, is like the console will match your workflow to some extent, mm. you know. So if you can think it, you can probably do it. It's one of my favorite things about the audience. I love that we both sat next to our audience right now. Um, <laughs> uh, but un but unfortunately, there's certain things that it cannot do, and those things that it can't do um, to for it to be able to do the things that we wanted to do like that the price point is just impossible you know like yeah to be able to have a console to do everything is is nigh on impossible you know yeah uh, but i think it's a it's very much a sweet spot w with the exception of fader bypass i think it's uh it's, it's pretty much exactly what i need you know well one of the things i found confusing when i first switched to logic was that any channel with the flip of a button could be stereo it was like, mm -hmm. what? <laughs> you know, yeah, it like, doesn't have to take up extra space or anything. But now when you pump it back out, you've got to use two faders. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, like, yeah. hey, you know, all of a sudden I'm down a few faders now because I'm trying to use the analog again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's an interesting thing. Like, uh, well, when you, <laughs> when, you, when you take the output from Logic, provided the, the actual thing is in mono, you can obviously say mono out 16 or whatever. Right. Uh, that's one of the things that's summing with the console. When you have something in mono, it just sounds so, uh, without sounding blatantly obvious, when something <laughs> mono, it feels like it's coming like right between the eyes on the desk. Mm. Uh, and within the DAW, it doesn't feel as, um, Perhaps separated is the word that I'm looking for. Although we always talk about how consoles glue things together, which mm. they do specifically in the bottom end. It always feels a bit more kind of together and nice. Uh, mm. When something's in mono, it just feels like it's head and shoulders above everything else. And it feels beautiful without being louder, you know. Wow. So like a pointed image. Mm. And I love that. Mm. So Thank then... You. Do you have a strong center? Do you mix in scenes? Like some engineers talk about how there's like a group of things here, a group of things there, a group of things here. Kind of. I I um, cascade my mix down. So like I try and get everything down to four buses at the end, you know. Mm. So I have my lead vocal bus, my backing vocal bus, my music bus, and my effects bus. But 
one level up from that is all of my drums go into one stereo auxiliary mm -hmm. and I have the parallel drum bus coming off of the auxiliary because I like the sound of all the drums being heavily compressed and gently fading that in mm -hmm. um, and um same goes for the different backing vocal parts, specifically if they're like staccato or legato parts. I want them to be in separate auxiliaries because the compression is in different speeds for a lot of the times, so that kind of stuff. Sure. And then the EQing, depending on how, like how, what vowels, if they're very nasal vowels, I'm obviously going to EQ separately, but I don't want to mm. EQ every vocal. I prefer to, you know, work in big steps, you know. Um, right. So, as much as I can, I put things in groups. And then as it goes down to the bottom of the session, there's four faders that just live at the bottom. And uh, it's the lead vocal, the backing vocal, the music and the effects. And on the music one, I try and do most of my bus compression and that kind of stuff. Uh, so then on my final summing, like on, on my master bus, when the compression happens, I'm not compressing the vocal twice, you know. So yes, much of my compression with the music bus as possible and then have the lead vocal... Like nothing on my master bus does more than maybe two dB at the most, you know. Wow. Uh, but that's just to kind of make sure that the vocal doesn't dip every time a kick drum is hitted with a bit of spirit behind it. Yeah. Right, right. What was your first instrument? Because you play so many things. Drums. Drums. Yes. That's the that's the big one. Started when I was very young on on the drum kit, and then kind of started playing the guitar or noodling on the guitar when I was sixteen. It's a good uh, word. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I've always been a drummer and I've uh, always wanted to be a bass player. You know, I think mm. that's the way Nice. Uh, but yeah, once I opened the recording studio uh, with a partner of mine uh, back then, um, a, a, a business partner from uh, 2014, once he left, I realized I had to learn how to play the guitar better hmm. uh, to be able to work with a singer-songwriter if they just play whatever their primary instrument is i'll do everything else for them oh know? wow right yeah. yeah that's really cool a lot of fun i love it yeah. yeah i can easily be a full band for myself and i like playing with other folks as well but what i really like about reaching out to other like-minded folks like yourself is that we are the artists on planet earth right now yeah. you know it's like we might not get a chance to be on the same bill performing to become friends, or we're not necessarily in the same country as it turns out, you know, but it's yeah. like in the old days, wouldn't have you loved to have been the neighbor of Jeff Lynn <laughs> you know, or, or one of George Harrison's guitar buddies that he's always visiting and bringing ukuleles yeah. over to play together. It's like, yes, I would like that kind of company, you know? So that's how this whole thing started. And, and that's why I was pestering you even to say, let's collaborate on something, you know, because yeah. it was just in the spirit of fun. I think what happens with so many people is they get a little uh, uh, competitive, you know, as if it's a sport or something and, and everything is a, I don't know, it's really serious kind of a thing. But maybe it's because I'm older now. <laughs> I'm like, I want to be a little bit more open to possibilities and... Um, just more fun, basically, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think competitiveness does play a big role, uh, probably in, in tandem with ego. I think mm -hmm. like those two things tend to run pretty close together. And like you say, as you get older, yeah. um, that kind of slacks off a bit. But I think the, uh, the other side of it is just time management. I think young musicians, yeah. myself, 
much included. It's just the game of how many times can you say yes? Mm -hmm. uh, and eventually, you're somehow living 30 hours in one day, you know, <laughs> mathematics, yeah. you know. Uh, and then you can't like you that just hits like a threshold where you can't do more you know absolutely uh, yeah that, that to me is kind of the thing that more recently specifically over the last year has been one of the harder things is to say no but also obey the fact that if i say no it it means that <laughs> spend time by myself or with somebody that's not musically related i have to look after the, right. the human part you know yeah the actual Alec life. <laughs> yeah. the, thing, the thing that makes the good music happen is right. something to do with music, you know. And the taking care of yourself, which you seem to do a good job of too. I mean, I like the way you sign off your videos and wish everybody well. And, and you just seem like an overall nice guy. And I think what's cool is most people are pretty decent human beings if they're not being squashed. You know, it's like if you can get enough sleep and get your needs met, most people want a peaceful life and want to have a good time. <laughs> right. Right? So we've got to, let, got to let everybody do that so they can rebound and get their energy back. I think that's one of the things that was not taught to me in university is the importance. My, my, my brother once said something to me when I was in university and he said, um, remember, time off is as important as time on. And that's... And at that point in my life, I was of the I will sleep when I'm dead mentality. You know, <laughs> that, that, that very like powerful place that you find yourself in. <laughs> That'll uh, be sooner than you think if you keep it up. <laughs> that's exactly what he said to me. <laughs> <laughs> Is he an older brother, I guess? Yeah, four yeah. years. Okay. <laughs> um, Smart and, man. Uh, yes, 100%. And I think like that's something that is last from the times in, in in the past you know um studios used to run uh two shifts a day mm. but like everybody had to have a day off at some point you know and, the, and it might have been you know there was enough engineers or there was enough musicians mm. that Sunday was not your day in and somebody else would come in or you'd have half a day off and come mm -hmm. in session or vice versa you know uh but obviously as jobs have disappeared and as big studios have closed mm. uh, us as independents have to kind of figure out, oh, one day a week isn't a crime. In fact, two days a week is probably advisable to have off. <laughs> <laughs> That's what makes uh, my job uh, being a professor a little unnormal because I have more time off than anybody. <laughs> it's like you work three days a week, you're full time and you have four days a week off for, yeah, four days a week off every week. And so I'm always looking for creative company <laughs> and nobody else has the time. So you end up waiting for a lot of folks, you know, but yeah. I've never liked the way classes and studios and computer companies and all those people are like, work these people to death around the clock and prove their loyalty to the company or the brand or to the artist. Like I will kill myself for you to get this record out the door. I just, disagree with that on so many levels <laughs> and because I never wanted to do it I've never put myself in those kinds of cutthroat situations but when I was assisting like at Blue Jay recording um, I've, I've seen some serious dangerous things happen to people who were rushing and hurting themselves and not realizing they left a razor blade 
on the count on the console and wrapped up the tape and you know and I'm dashing to the supermarket to get them things to wrap themselves up and they think the session should continue and I'm thinking they should be in the hospital getting stitches you know so it's like rushing and killing yourself for somebody is not going to last long you know no. and you're not necessarily going to get the best out of your players or your people or the mix or anything else so I don't know I I disagree with most of the teachers who are like you got to be serious and if you don't do it someone else will <laughs> it's like absolutely absolutely I the, what, one of the best things that I ever did was uh enforce the session times in the studio here um and I remember the first time I had some session players coming over and they had booked off the whole day and I said well you arrive at 10 and you'll be out the door by 6:30 at the latest <laughs> I know I want you to play that's what will happen and you'll get paid the same whether you leave at 4 or 6:30 but one thing that will not happen is you <laughs> 1 a.m. that's not going to happen you know <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> the door's I, lock <laughs> yeah yeah I leave at 6:30 my assistant comes in after me at 6:30 and works on the stuff that we've been tracking during the day you know <laughs> um, so i think you need to have boundaries you know yes yes and a good schedule like that like any time i'm doing something it's like well we're going to break to eat here you can have as many bathroom breaks as you want and you know it's like i need my snacks you know <laughs> i have to eat every 3 hours <laughs> or i become very miserable <laughs> yeah 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 Could I ask you about your um lecturing in Berkeley? I mean, you're, you casually reside on the knife blade that is the cutting edge of the industry, you know. You're seeing all the like youngest people coming through the door. Hmm. Um how did you end up there? Obviously, you're not short on talent. Um but <laughs> I've been there for a long time. Like can you give me a a rough background story of how you've ended up at at Berkeley and how you're finding it now? I was 11 years old, 2 years into guitar lessons and my teacher said you're ready for this book and it was called A Modern Method for Guitar by William G Levitt and I said wow for a level 1 book when I was doing the assignments I this is pretty difficult for level 1 because <laughs> I had been through some Mel Bay and some Alfreds and he said this is a college textbook they use this at Berkeley College of Music And I said, "Wow, there's a college where you can go for guitar. I want to go." So even though uh I was of the generation born in 1960 where my father said, "Well, you know, you're a woman, you don't have to go to college, you know. You probably just get married. You don't need to go to college." Uh I just had my heart set on going there because I loved guitar so much. Mm-hmm. So I was a student from 1978 to 1982. And then one of my teachers was really cool and he said, "You know, what are you going to do after this?" He's like, "You explain things really well. Why don't you consider teaching here because they could really use some good teachers and you're an artist. You're not like an educator that is all you know about rules and I don't know, things that almost aren't musical, aren't important. They're the nuts and bolts, but they're not the whole thing. You know, it's like when you'd have a teacher who would say, uh, Well, basically the song's just in the key of C. It's nothing really that interesting going on here. It'd be like if they walked into the Taj Mahal and said, "Well, there's a few 2x4s and a couple of screws and I'm sure they used a hammer, but I'm not impressed." And it's like you can't keep bringing everything down to its ingredients. Yes, yeah, just basil, it's just garlic. 
it's the mix. It's the blend. It's the heart and soul. It's the love you put into it. It's the sum of the parts that makes something magic. I don't know what gives me the goosebumps, but that's the part I want to teach. That's the part I want to share with other people is the magic, you know? So I got hired in 1984. I've been there ever since. I've been trying to get out ever since. No. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, most of the time, it's just fantastic to be with young folks who are as passionate and really wanting to work. But I've seen such a major decline in anybody doing anything serious with instruments because, you know, it's, it's hip to say, I have ADHD or I can't focus or I can't this or I can't that. And I have this label and that label and this medication. And you're like, wait, I think we've all had anxiety. doesn't mean that you have anything special. <laughs> you, know, like, you don't have to have that label if you don't want it, you know? And so in some instances, I think people are hiding behind things. Like Eric Maisel was saying to me, do they have trouble playing their video games? They can spend six hours in a row on the phone doing what they like, right? And it's like, so they don't really have that. They just have this fear about getting into the real thing, you know? So I don't know. There's been a lot of changes. I don't see as many amazing instrumentalists as I used to. Um, there never seemed to be enough really good guitar teachers everywhere to get people up to speed to be really ready for college guitar. Uh, but it just depends on who you get. Sometimes you just get folks that blow you away and they're just really wonderful and passionate and really good at what they do. But now I think everybody and his brother wants to be a producer, which has gotten to be the loosest definition, right? Because it used to mean something completely different. And now all they want to do is make beats. They don't even want to learn how to play anything. So. I find it fascinating. I find yeah, it fascinating. Tell me. Um, here in Liverpool, we have a, uh, I guess, not too dissimilar to, to where you are. There's a, a weirdly high musician to civilian ratio. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Because there's five. Like, Weirdly high. Yeah. There's, there's five universities nearby that all have music courses on them. Um, and there definitely felt like there was, I wouldn't say a drop, but it felt like the musicality aspect of being a musician was waning a little bit. Like yes. It was losing a bit of its like um, intentionality kind of thing. And then yes. um, post the pandemic, there was this group of people that just showed up and we've got some beautiful jazz nights here, nothing like over the top, but we've got a couple of beautiful bars. Mm. Um, and on Tuesday night, there's this bar called Fred's and it's packed with 18, 19 and 20 year olds just absolutely ripping it with different jazz standards, Neo Soul, just hitting the hell out of it. And it's so good. And awesome. when when there's a band in, uh, you would expect the audience to be my age and up, uh, but it's just <laughs> absolutely rammed with students who are not musicians and are musicians. And like the jazz renaissance that's happening in Liverpool is really exciting. And there's been a couple of big bars that have opened up that are wow. into musicians. Um, so it, it seems quite interesting. The difference, obviously, you know, for every 200 musicians, there's going to be three that will make this a full-time job. That's always been the case, I guess. True. So I guess 
the actual number of exceptional musicians that want to do this hasn't really changed. It's just the overall average is shifting slightly. I think you're right. Yeah. But it is wonderful to see the different kinds of musicality because like I have this little theory. Well, I have two theories. The first theory is you don't listen to what your parents listen to generally. And (laughs) um, the people who are now 18 years old, their parents would have been like, you know, late 80s or like 80s and 90s, like babies, you know, right? Uh, they would have, you know, been listening to all of the stuff that I liked growing up. Uh, so <laughs> they would gravitate towards the opposite, which kind of pulls you into a very interesting musical sphere opposite, you know, from the 90s and 2000s. Mm. And then you're into your instrument and then this pandemic hits. There's mm. only one direction you're gonna go <laughs> you've learned the, your basic tunes that you need to know and that direction is not country music most of the time you go into blues and jazz that's yeah. just i want to get better what do i do oh here's this cool neo soul thing with like a bedroom person and then all of a sudden it's like oh have you listened to you know yeah Angelo? have you listened to black radio and then it just goes all the way you know, down that beautiful path. And now I think we're, we're likely going to see people that were in university during the pandemic times, the ones that took it as an opportunity are going to be like virtuosic because they just had an unfettered opportunity to just, uh, and obviously, again, this is a very tiny percentage of people who would be disciplined enough. Mm-hmm. So, hey, I can just practice my way through this. You right. Know? Um, but That's one- cool. Yeah, it's wonderful to see some of the bass players, drummers and guitars and of course keys players. Um but also like vocals like like jazz singers. Mm. Are, it's like they just disappeared for a bit and they're slowly coming back and they're all like half my age, which is the coolest thing in the world, you know. Yeah. Um so I get really excited about the future. Um some of the people that I mentor are like 15, 16 and like they show me what they're listening to and I'm like I didn't even listen to that. It's amazing, you know, like, yeah, so cool. I love that. Yeah, because we used to always be aware of the fact that if somebody was a great musician, they did a lot of studying of either jazz or classical. And then everything else was cake for them, you know, like, so I remember when the pandemic hit, one of my friends wrote to me and said, oh, my God, we were made for these times. <laughs> we just loved going deep and being able to stay home on purpose to do our thing. <laughs> so when people were saying, well, did you get another album made or, you know, did you have trouble finding what to do? It was like, are you kidding? I put out a ton of music. <laughs> I had a blast. <laughs> it was a great time, except for all the people I knew who got sick or died or, you know, it was like. I can use this time easily, yeah. Mm, mm. That was what pushed me through the door to to start a YouTube channel. Oh, you know? really? Yeah. Nice. Pretty weird story. If you'd like to hear it, you know? I would. I would. Um, so, I've always, <laughs> <laughs> I've always been a big fan of YouTube itself, and obviously, as anybody who's bought anything that's nineteen inches wide, we're all YouTube people. Uh, <laughs> <because> <laughs> you have to know. I, Either we're going to buy it or we've bought it and need to like be confirmed that we bought the right thing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> or we got to figure out which one to buy. <laughs> yeah, word, you know. Um, so I, there's, a, there's an amazing pro audio retailer here in Liverpool called Studio Care. And they're like, they've been so good to me. Um, one of the guys that uh, runs the place, a guy called Rick, 
he's always been in big support of the cabin and how it works here. And um, he's kind of always had the best advice whenever I phone about a piece of equipment or if I'm having a hard time with business. Like, how do I deal with people who don't pay? Like, he's mm-hmm. the guy I call. And thankfully, he's patient with me and we work through things. And um, during the pandemic, Wonderful. yeah. So during the pandemic, um, he knew that I could play all the instruments and I had done a little bit of filming for them in the past, shooting out an old U67 compared to a new U67. (laughs) It was like I borrowed my girlfriend at the time's camera uh, and it was very basic. You know, everything was like super laid out. Um, But he he, he sent me a message and uh, he said, listen, there's this new product called the Neve 1073 OPX. (laughs) Yeah. can't get anybody to test it because nobody can hire people to come in and play oh we can't work in the same room so would you be up for filming and talking about it and i was like okay uh terrifying but obviously yes um like who's gonna say no to a new neve product you know <laughs> right like, let me think about it yes yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes while i'm zipping up my jacket and making my <laughs> You know, so, um, so we we go and have the weirdest pick up and drop off moment. We can't like touch each other, so like this open <laughs> box, you know, gets put outside of the door. I see him on the other side. I pick up the box. <laughs> I go home and disinfect the box <laughs> <laughs> with my UV lightsaber. You know, um, so, <laughs> every studio's got three. Um, so, <laughs> um, (laughs) so you know uh, obviously i shoot the video first thing i've ever shot um like that and it's it's still one of the most viewed videos i've done um and i pack everything up take it back to studio care and uh rick says to me did you enjoy that oh sorry i'll do it in his accent you enjoy that and i was like yes i did enjoy that and he said do you want to do it some more and I said, yes. okay. And he went and he took a flatbed trolley and he put it by the door and he said, pick 10 things. Awesome. <laughs> have, like Charlie, it's like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory in this warehouse with these huge aisles of every dream piece of equipment. Like, yes. I could review something every week from now until I'm 95 and I wouldn't even like scratch the surface in that place. It's not I love happen. it. I love it. <laughs> and that's fantastic because around here, you can't see these pieces of gear. You can't touch them. And you don't know which one you really want. You definitely don't get a chance to hear them. Yeah. Yeah. Which is so sad, you know. It is. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just pure geographical happenstance that they are literally 15 minutes down the road. You know, I love that for you. It's, that's it's, beautiful. And they took, you know, right now I've got a shelf that's full of things to review. And uh, they've been so patient and so supportive, which is one of the coolest things ever. Uh, and then since then, it's obviously like building a relationship with different brands and that kind of stuff. It's it's a part of the industry I had no idea that I would be a part of. And I had no idea that I would want to be a part of it as much as I do. You know? Really? Yeah. Really? I never well, what's... thought of writing tunes uh, for YouTube reviews. You know, it's the weirdest niche. You, you said you're writing songs for the YouTube. Yeah, yeah. That's just, to, how, just to use the gear. Yeah, that was it. And that's obviously like the unique selling point because it doesn't matter if you like me and what I do. 
matter what I'm reviewing because you're like, there's going to be a tune in the middle of this and it's going to crack a weird joke halfway through, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and he's going to return the gear in perfect condition because he's a gentleman and he's a great musician and he takes care of his stuff, you know, so everybody wins. Yeah, I know I've been doing uh, videos, just wanting to put home videos and whatever's on YouTube since 2007 long before there were subscription bells and follow this person or that, or, uh, and I was endorsing equipment before there was ever this kind of technology or video aspect to things. Yeah. So I, uh, just showing students gear, bringing gear to school and new guitars, microphones, you know, whatever we were working on at the time. And um, it's wonderful now to have this visual go with it all you know and to do it once and then not have to schlep the gear to school and just say here watch this video yeah <laughs> that's it man that's so wonderful. great how, how have you found uh because obviously you've been noting out on gear forever you know these days like there's so much new gear coming out um i have the theory that most new stuff that comes out sounds pretty solid you know like there was a bit of a rough time in like the 90s and early 2000s where things started to sound a bit weird. Uh, <laughs> it's weird to see the price of those things go up now. But like, mm. um, you know, how, how are you finding the modern gear market? You know, you've you are really into some cool stuff. Right? I love the work <laughs> of like Tegula and all those like amazing brands. Like, how are you finding the modern gear now compared to the stuff that you used when you were? having to take a, a cab from one end of a console to another. <laughs> uh, I uh, didn't have access to some of the coolest gear back then. In fact, when I got my UA Apollos in 2014, I didn't even know the names of the gears. I, 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 I didn't have um, an 1176 mindset or, you know, a, Neve 1073. Like, I didn't know what any of those things were because in my world where I could rent gear from this particular company, it was all Alesis or uh, TIAC or Tascam or, you know, it wasn't high end, beautiful stuff, even though they did fingerprint you <laughs> to, to, to lend you the gear, <laughs> to rent them to you. Um, so I had to learn all the pieces and learn about what they actually were. And then, of course, I started craving the real stuff. So uh, I had bought a used recording channel off eBay from Tegler and I couldn't get any sound to return. I started talking to them about it and um, they were helping me with the cables. There was something that might not have been set right for America or something. I can't remember uh, what it was, but in the process they said, well, why don't we send you a new one? And they just gave me that piece of gear. And then they started giving me these massive discounts on anything else they made. And I was like, Oh, you know, th thank you so much. This is incredible, you know. So I love the working with other companies because of that mutual trust and because we all need each other in that way, you know, like they need people to use their stuff and they like creative folks like you to, to be using their things because they want to see it in good hands and used well. Yeah. They're good tools. They're good instruments. They're good. They're there heart and soul of, of what they've created. They want to see people who know what they're doing, enjoy them, you know? Absolutely. So yeah, we're, we're a godsend to them and, and they're a godsend to us for, for making this stuff really. And generally like I've had uh, brief conversations with the guys from Tegula and like, they just seem like the nicest people, 
you know. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And generally across the board, you know, if I'm talking to guys with Cranbourne or with Audient or, you know, Neve, Joe from Neve, like just rarely rock solid humans, you know. That I love we're, that. We're all just trying to make it work. And we're all nerds, you know. We just, we're all nerds. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we all love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But when did you realize that that creative process of playing an instrument could be turned into a recording? I mean, I know you went to a recording school, but like, how did you even get excited to do that? Because that's a jump a lot of folks don't make. They just want to be a player. Yeah, well, um, my my cousin had a recording studio growing up in his dad's house. Um, um, There's video footage of me, you know, at waist height. Uh, wandering about, uh, knocking on drums and seeing them use the old, um, what are the the old dat the old dat recorders, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so are I don't those know. on YouTube? <laughs> uh, but maybe, maybe one day, you know. Um, my my cousin has worked through a lot of the footage, uh, and it's all labeled now. So I'll ask <laughs> for a link, and there, there might be a history video if anybody cares. <laughs> it just feels like very like thing to make so this is how i ended up here video you know not really yeah (laughs) (laughs) um so um i've always been aware of recording studios and um i had my first like pro session uh was for emi when i was 16 for a traditional south african artist called sepotsula and i played in a tune called god's lifestyle um which obviously now listening back to it, like you can hear it's a 16 year old playing the drums. But at the time, <laughs> that whole like moment of their, their drummer couldn't make the session and I was at home mm. and, and he was like, Hey, the producer heard you sound checking the drums today. Do you want to come in and play on this thing? And I ended up doing that song and a couple more on that album. That's got, awesome. Yeah. And, um, and then I thought that that was it. Like, I love playing and I love session playing specifically session playing in the studio was like my, my most favorite thing. And then when I moved to the UK, um, and I was in Lippa, I didn't study recording. I studied, uh, composition and, uh, production, you know, so I, I mm. didn't learn sound engineering because the production course and the music degree was super limited. Like you didn't learn the intricacies of anything. It was like broad oh. to kind of just get you through, you know, if you go to a studio with an engineer there with you, uh, then oh. you can communicate how you want to do stuff and you can use logic, you know. Right. Um, I didn't study sound engineering. That that's that was about like how I engineer now is a byproduct of being a record producer. Well, first somebody pretending to be a record producer for the first five years and then sure. becoming a producer <laughs> after that. Um, but there was a moment um in my third year where i had done a tour typical story of a tour where i was like a three-seater van and all three of us were in the front and like sleeping on top of you know (laughs) the venues that we played and that kind of thing and i'd done a few of these and i realized like if i play drums every day for the rest of my life it'll be a really sad life it's not the life that i want (laughs) Because at that point, I'd been playing drums, you know, I started playing really young. And it sounds like a really musically entitled thing. But like, <laughs> if and you started playing, like I was playing the church band with my dad at age seven. Mm. So like, by the time you're 22, you've been doing it for a minute, you know. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> and, and you're allowed to like feel like it's not the perfect fit, you know. So I knew that studio drumming was the thing that I loved. And um, I was working with an Very incredible cool. uh, called John Withnall uh, at the time. He's the guy that assisted on the Coldplay Parachutes album. And, wow. Uh, he he saw me playing at a at a jazz gig um and the last set is like a jam set and uh he just said can you come and do a recording session tomorrow and i went <laughs> in working on the session and how he was was so starkly different to obviously everything i was seeing in university but also how records were made in south africa when i was growing up like in south africa it's how much can you record in a certain amount of time oh and wow like how well can you record this and yes how you, do it, you know it that's was so cool first speed second nice and i met a bunch of people during that time and i realized that even when i wasn't playing the drums i just wanted to sit in the control room and watch this guy do stuff it was like absolutely and it looked like he was never doing anything but everything just sounded enormous you know i know what are you doing like how does this work and in that exact moment I was like, oh my God, I'm feeling that excitement that I felt when I saw, you know, uh, you know, Nathan East and Harvey Mason playing for the first time. Like, I remember that moment when I saw them live and drumming wise, that like, well, mm. massive, like huge amount of passion in me. Yes. In that moment in past street recording and consequently many times in that building, I saw engineers doing stuff and I saw producers working and I was like, this is so much more exciting to me because not only can I play the drums on these recordings if needed, but also you can put people into a state of mind that makes them perform better than they usually would. Wow. And get to use equipment that makes them sound naturally better than they actually are. Like, if you, <laughs> like I don't mean that in like a slight, but like if you find the right mic for the right voice, Yes. It's like you go into the control room after listening to the person singing in the room and you push up the fader and you just, you can't believe what this piece of circuitry is doing to complement all of your favorite parts of somebody else's voice into a place that isn't real, but it's so much more beautiful and stunning to just witness, you know? Um, so that was like the, the lid coming off of this moment, Pandora's box. <laughs> And um, there was an engineer called Tony Draper who was extremely patient. And I had 10 million questions a day about everything. <laughs> everything yeah. you know? And um, he was extremely patient and spoke me through a whole bunch of it. And <laughs> yeah, one thing kind of led to another. And um, that was it. I just realized I, I, I will always play drums. But yes. The thing I would love to do until I get old is work with other people on their music. And in that way, yes. it doesn't sound like a sad life. It sounds really interesting because it's never <laughs> the same thing. You know, like exactly. I, I appreciate people who can go on tour and play the same set or people who, you know, work in, in theater. It's a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but for me, it doesn't like that. That doesn't sit quite right. You know, I need to be challenged and I need to learn every day, you know. Mm. Um, and when you get an artist that calls you out on your bullshit and you have to push harder, there's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I love, I, lo I love the way you explained all that because that life force 
that thing that took over you when you knew you wanted to play drums or knew that you wanted to learn more about the studio, that's that thing so many people aren't aware of in themselves. They don't know what makes them come alive. And that's so important to follow those things. And any way you define it, any amount of percentages of zillion instruments you want to play or gear you want to know about or how you want to participate in it, whether it's live or on a movie or behind the camera or on the stage, you know, it's like, it's up to all of us artists to define those amounts and to be on different tours and to do different things as they strike you, as they, as they matter. Um, what do you do that's counter to that, that is non-music, that is also like a fantastic hobby or a passion? Film photography. Me too. Uh, medium format. That's just, it's my jam. You, know. you love that, huh? Yeah. You, I, go on. Are you using any of your photographs in some of your videos? No, on my on my personal Instagram, it's just a collection of those photographs, really. Okay. Uh, I think that there is something sacred about having a hobby that is not related to what you're doing. Yes. And I I was in a, a long distance relationship with somebody from Nashville, and um, she asked me one day, "So, like, so what are some of your hobbies?" And I just listed off things I did for a living. Like, you need to do some work <laughs> like, like she just said to me you got to work on yourself like man that's not a real answer you know um <laughs> so i i quickly realized in that in that moment i was like oh wow i need to do something that's not musically related because mm. what do you do on the days off you know you can only <laughs> visit your brother so many times before he's like come on mate please yep. bye else to do <laughs> get, a, get a life <laughs> i've always loved photography too and i like the whole video thing uh mm. i wish some of that gear wasn't so expensive because it would be fun to play around with all that kind of different things i like yeah. making videos i've made a couple of interesting behind the scenes and album videos but that was even with uh uh what was the iMovie you know it's so much better with da vinci resolve and some of that stuff now but just a few months ago, maybe about half a year or so, I was just getting a little bit down, like everything I do is music, even if it's off on giant tangents this way or that way with recording or different instruments or writing or performing or being in a band or whatever. It's still music, music, music. You know, what else on the planet am I interested in? You know, there's a billion infinite new things that I know nothing about. Yes. And I've always liked cars and uh you know, riding mowers and <laughs> segways and various things I've been on over the years. And I bought a, a Can-Am Roadster in November. It's got the two wheels in the front yeah, and the one yeah, wheel yeah. in the back. And I'm like, where did this come from? And it's like, well, you've always loved things that move, you know. Yeah. Uh, so Indeed. that that happened. And then this podcast happened accidentally. So that that was wild. Jeez. Just to segue, sorry, I mean, pun intended, to, <laughs> to the, to the Can-Am steering mechanism, the way the wheels lean mm. is one of the things, the way the body turns. I, I'm a huge fan of like engineering. My dad and I have always been very big into cars and anything that is mm -hmm. you know, watches, cars, boats, planes, whatever. Uh, right. I, I saw a Can-Am was at a motor show in South Africa. I was, must have been quite young. And uh, 
I just couldn't believe the engineering to make that thing work. What a, what a wonderful purchase. Congratulations. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I'm still <laughs> looking at it in the garage going, what is that? What do you mean that? <laughs> and then when I'm on it, I'm like, you know, <laughs> freedom. <laughs> <laughs> Let's well, fly uh, away. <laughs> what uh, what are you shooting at the moment in terms of film photography? Um, what what cameras are exciting you? What film is is making you like excited to shoot? I had a, a Canon T three for the longest time, but now my iPhone is sharper and uh, almost right. more up to date, right? With four K and all that, so I haven't known what to get that isn't enormously expensive. You know, that isn't going to be outdated and then the next person i do some teaching videos for is going to say well you need such and such this isn't up to par anymore we can't sell these videos it's like it changes every week so i haven't bought anything yeah. <laughs> i i um, what do you recommend <laughs> oh, like uh filming wise um i'm at a bit of i'm kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place i've shot everything with the canon 5d mark 4 uh, that's on my channel and that's a, a camera given to me by my brother um but it's starting to act up it's about 10 years old now so mm. it's starting to act up a bit um so part of me just wants to go for a new canon like an r5c or something like that nice but it's just ferocious you know well you got to talk to them and show them your your cat your channels and work out something, you know, like, I, uh, you can lend you, me your camera gear and I will keep updating my videos with your new camera gear. <laughs> I think that the, there is something to that. But if you give me one second, I'm going to show you the coolest thing that I've bought recently. Yeah, sure. This is a Sony CX405. And it's yes. like the cheapest handycam you can buy at the moment. And um, 4k or five or 1080. This thing shoots 1080. It's, oh, okay. It's the opposite of what you think I'm about to explain to you why I've bought this. Um, so it it looks super it looks super nostalgic, which means the quality isn't like super amazing. Mm. Um, but I like things that look like film sometimes instead. You know. Yeah, I wouldn't say this looks like film. It's it's got a feel to it, and it's like ultimate dad cam, you know, vibe. So like that dad look, cam. It's just got that thing and it's got the super zoom, you know, um, but it costs like a couple hundred bucks. Um, and so it's got a warranty. It weighs absolutely nothing and it fits in your pocket. Mm. But what's so cool is that I've had it around the studio and when artists are in or when a band is in, uh, they just pick it up and they film stuff. And when we go and have lunch or if we go out for dinner at the end of the project, they make sure like they are the ones that say, don't forget the dad cam and they'll film themselves walking down a street. I had some guys over from Switzerland recently and like they just love the, the idea of this. And what I found really interesting about it is because, you know, the quality is not going to be great. Mm. Uh, you're not concerned about the things you're usually concerned about, like setting up loads of lights or making sure that everything's perfect or what lens am I shooting with here? Like what's the, what's the deal? Mm -hmm. Everything down to story and the guys absolutely love it so i've been testing this and getting the correct settings and i'm going to buy a second one and wow. when, a, when a band is coming in i'm going to send one of those cameras to the band a couple <laughs> weeks before they come in <laughs> they can shoot before they arrive at the studio of 
what the songs are about, what they're working on, how's their travels to get here. Um, how exciting. How they make coffee, whatever they want to shoot. Right? And I'm going to do the same thing about them. And it's two people that might not have really spent much time together. And then during the process of the recording, we'll keep filming with the two cameras. And then at the end, I'll have a folder full. And I'll now that I am uh, trying to mix my productions less, I'm giving that to a mix engineer now. I want to build videos about the EPs or the albums that I'm recording with people that will accompany the release of the album. But it's all shot on the dad cam. That's awesome. Low pressure, maximum story, you know. So this Fantastic. Is really, yeah, this has really changed my, my view on what the next camera I buy should be. And I love mirrorless cameras. I think the quality that you can get with them is absolutely incredible. Um, for the product reviews, there has to be a certain level of quality that is kind of expected because of the tech review world now, really. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'll never shoot a product review with a dad cam. I might shoot some B-roll with it if it right. feels kind of right. If I want to shoot into a nostalgic moment or whatever, I can quickly do that. Um, but I there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a camera by a DJI called the Pocket 3. And it's got a gimbal built into it. Oh, and it's nice. 4K or 6K, I think. Um, it's got great low-light performance. Um, and you can set it up and it will track you as you move around. So you right. establish a shot and then as you move, the camera will follow you. Mm -hmm. um, but the best part is, again, it's tiny. And mm. some prohibitive factors for me, like if I've had a long day of recording in here, the last thing I want to do is set up a filming rig to talk <laughs> about, I don't know, a, a microphone uh, or, or anything like that. But mm. if it's one camera that I can just put down. Yeah. And there's no barrier of entry. It's already done. Just hop in. High quality, beautiful, you know. Um, so whatever the next camera I buy is, I'm I'm sure that a really high level mirrorless will always be part of the arsenal because you're mm -hmm. all that stuff will have to be beautiful. But for some of the other video plans that I have coming up, um, I don't want to have to think about the camera. It's nice. the last wow, well, you know. Yeah. It's the same reason why we have everything plugged in all the time. The last thing you want to think about is a patch cable. When you've got the idea, it's time to go. You know? <laughs> right. Now, do you use DaVinci Resolve to put it all together? Final Cut Pro for me. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, it does a great job. I think Resolve is a far better program, especially when it comes to like um, color grading and all that side of things. I think mm. it's flexible and... Uh, they seem slightly more on the pulse with uh, things like tracking and that kind of stuff. It's, it's mm. really, yeah. really beautiful. Uh, and it's also an industry standard. So another cousin of mine uh, works, uh, he does a lot of like um, cinematography and editing for Netflix. And, oh, uh, sweet. A, he uses DaVinci Resolve. So Wow. Yeah, that's uh, probably a good sign. Fantastic, yeah. I have that Hoheen Pro and it does do the tracking and stuff. It's a gimbal. But it came, I, I also got a, an external mic that works with all that. But you can never tell when the mic is on or if it's actually working. And I don't like that you can't see levels of sound. I don't want to do a whole thing. And then if I do a test, if you walk away for a second, you don't know if things have automatically shut themselves off. 
So it gets really frustrating for somebody who's like a professional audio person to be looking for those indicators and they're not there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Something I found uh, that's been quite freeing is I bought a Zoom uh, recorder that's got a lapel mic. So on some of my more recent videos, there's moments of me wearing a lapel. Mm-hmm. And that's just a standalone recorder with a micro SD. And it records in 32-bit float. So I've got a preset on RX that just makes the the volume one volume for my voice. Nice. Uh, and, uh, you can batch process stuff, takes out the mouth clicks and the plosives and all that stuff. But that way, because on the 5D, the on the onboard microphones are horrible, and if you to get an XLR in is a whole story with that mic. With, with that, yeah. Just, I just thought, let me get a lapel, and it's been really freeing. Like, oh, good. Uh, check the Neumann MT48 video that I did. It's a lot of lapel work, and you can see me like jumping through different scenes, mm. and that's of the lapel. I would never do that if I didn't have the lapel mic. So, okay. Uh, more likely to record or more likely to be inspired to record if I've just got something that's very fast, you know? Yeah. Uh, so highly recommend that Zoom BT, the Bluetooth recorder. It's great. That's a good Nice. Job. That's really yeah. cool. Yeah. And you can walk around with it because it's wireless, you know? Nice. Uh, now, what about your creative process? You say you write songs. Do you do that on a regular basis or does it matter? How does that factor in for you? Um, it's happening more and more. Um, so when the YouTube channel first started, it didn't really happen. It was, I, I never felt ready to write. Uh, I'd been in loads of bands and I'd wanted to write with the, either the lead writer in the band. Uh, but I never felt like I had a voice and I always felt like, why would I want to write about anything? There's nothing. <laughs> I'm talented at it, so why would I move in that direction when I could work on something else? You know, um, but obviously, as time goes, it's just a muscle that needs to be flexed, really, and 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 worked more and more and more and more. Um, and a couple of heavy heartbreaks later, all of a sudden, you've got things to talk about. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so so now, like, I haven't. <laughs> video in a couple months because i've been writing with band a lot so in wow. the band would come and i would produce and then mix the record um and now all three records that are coming up that i'm going to be re- producing this year are all co-written and then produced by me so that's like for me and an, an album is, is like split into three parts the writing it's the production and it's the mixing mm. uh, but I, I, I would never want to do all three. It just feels like a lot. And a bit <laughs> moody, you know, uh, I always have to do all three. <laughs> it is a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I have done it. I just <laughs> don't enjoy it. You know, mix G uh, on any song. By the time you get to like, you know, G H I, you're just like, yeah. I remember when we wrote this. <laughs> you know? I'm tired of these songs. <laughs> yeah. and I don't think that I can deliver the highest quality product to a client at that point. So mm. I think two out of the three is fine. Um, but writing and production. So anyway, um, at this point in time, I've written enough stuff for my own record now. Uh, I went, my goal was to do 50 demos for my for my uh for my record so every video that has come out on the youtube channel they're all public voice notes of the concept and as 
if you look at the early ones and you look at the more recent ones, you'll notice more music's happening. Yeah. Kind of pushing into that thing of like, okay, I think I found the tone of the record. I think I found the subject matter of the record. Um, but I've just needed to mine through a bunch of just weirdness to get to that point, you know. Um, wow. But with the with the bands, um, we're to tonight the pre-production with the band I'm going with after this call. Um, that's an EP that's co-written with them. Just finished writing an album with this with the band from Switzerland called Baba Shrimp, and um, I've written four. I've co-written four of the five tracks with St. Catherine's Child for her new EP, for her new album that we're recording in April. Nice. It's like, that to me is a huge amount of joy. It means that I can't do much YouTube stuff because writing is, uh, for me anyway, at this point, I find it creatively consuming. Mm-hmm. I go into the zone and then mm-hmm. end of a session, there's nothing I want to do more than not music, you know? I would what? like to disappear (laughs) (laughs) what helps you get into that writing zone um it depends there's there's two different camps uh for for me personally um if it's a co-writing session um the other person usually my approach with them is come in here with the verse and a chorus and let's work through it Mm. uh that way i don't inject too much of my identity into what they want to write about okay you might end up not using that initial first verse and chorus. The chorus might become a verse or something might shift. Right. But I, don't, I don't like the session to start with like this series of ideas. Maybe I like that one. Let's go with that. Come in with something specific. And okay. And then nice. usually have a coffee, chat for about an hour and then jump in. Um, if I have the voice note, voice notes are my favorite thing in the world. Um, then I would have uh, written down the chords and the lyrics that they already have at that point. So when they come in, um, mm. I don't have like the fastest ears. So it takes me a while to work things out on the on the piano or on guitar. Um, whatever instrument they're not playing mm-hmm. is used for the writing session. Um, and then uh, for me personally, when you see the stuff on the YouTube channel, um, that stuff usually begins, uh, I try walk on the docks here in Liverpool every day. Uh, and sometimes you get one line. So, you know, I'll, <laughs> I'll write something interesting that comes, you know, I've got these three uh, notes on my phone that uh, uh, have just got different great opening lines, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Sometimes I'll sit here in in the studio with a guitar uh, or at home with a guitar and something musical will start to happen Mm -hmm. and then I'll walk in and uh, crack on. Other times I'll write an entire um, paragraph uh, or or a chorus without any music and it just sits. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it's always nice when the lyrics are in place because the music part is the easy bit that I love, you know? Yeah. Um, but the lyric part is like one, one to, to put into perspective, to shoot one YouTube video for a review, it's between three and five days and three of those days are music, you know? So it's just like, it's so intense because that's just writing. It's just a long time to write and then it's a long time to record and then it's a long time to film the recording. Mm. And you know? Uh, <laughs> So it, we, we don't make our lives any easier by doing everything ourselves. But at the same <laughs> time, 
I think it's really important. What's yeah, it's um, the writing process is varied, mm-hmm. but the the roots always start when it's a co-write with the other person. I let them take the lead, mm-hmm. uh, and if it's um, and if they're co-writing with me, then I have something ready to go when they walk in. So the same relationship goes the other way. Mm. Uh, and if it's with myself, then I'm uh, far too picky. And thank God for the notes app on the phone. Just... <laughs> have you heard of a book called Writing Down the Bones by Natalie Goldberg? Oh. Or have you ever done any free association or object writing? No. These were a couple of lyric tricks that uh, I remember Pat Patterson teaching us when I was a student. And you just take a blank piece of paper and scribble anything. Like, how am I even going to get through this week? I don't have too much to do. I have to do that video on Tuesday. I wanted to check out that new camera. And I promised Rick I'd pick up that piece of gear by Friday. You know, like you just, whatever. It's not a journal entry and it's not a, it's sort of a brain dump. But then you could be, why doesn't they why don't they call back or when are they going to set up that session or when am I ever going to get the dog and why don't I have a cam am or whatever, <laughs> you know, like it just keeps, <laughs> keeps going. And before you know it, because you've primed the pump and your pen is moving and I love either scribbling on the computer word processing or how a, a fountain pen will feel on smooth paper. I just like the process of writing, even though I have nothing to say yet. And sometimes I get into stupid rhymes and funny little cadences and various things, but I just leave it. I date it and leave it. And then when I have a little guitar idea, I go flipping through my book of nonsense and looking for something to sing or say or latch onto. And sometimes a phrase stands out. Interesting. And then because I sing that and it sounds important now because it's being sung rather than reading a silly thing I scribbled my brain takes it someplace else and finishes the sentence or all of a sudden lyrics start happening because of the little moment there and how I'm feeling today, you know? And one time I asked a class to do this, come in, read your blurbs, then read the lyric you wrote from it, then play us the song. And this one guy did this really weird thing with one word separated by commas. Cool. And he read it to us and we were like, dude, that's just insane. Like, why would you do that? You know, like you didn't do the assignment, right? You know? And then he wrote us, he read us the lyric and we all went, ooh. And then he played us the song and we all fell over because we loved it so much. And we all went home and said, I want to do that. And that's uh, exactly what I did. I did, went home, did little single words separated by commas. And then about a month later, I was sitting in the backyard with a guitar and wrote this song called Sometimes because I loved the little guitar bit. And I went in and grabbed that book and I was beyond talk because I didn't have my voice. I had a cold. And my brain said, I'm tired and needing this change. And I finished that line. And then I realized I was saying uh, behind lights because they had uh, star filled ceiling as a phrase on there because I was in my room and there were fake stars on the ceiling. And all of a sudden these sentences started happening. And it's one of my favorite songs. It's called Sometimes. And I I feel like George Harrison channeled it through me because it sounds like a George tune, you know. And it's like just trying to exercise that creative muscle and even trying to feel a little bit more equal with this easy to write melodies and find chords as it is to find lyrics. I never think that way. I always think because I don't read 150 books like my friend does and I don't uh, play with words or do the Wordle every day or the New York Times puzzles and genius and all those things. I don't play with words enough to have enough 
words in my brain, in my arsenal, in my bag of tricks, but I've got a million guitar ideas because I'm always playing, right? So it's like whatever you focus on, you get more of. And of course, you know, whatever you appreciate, appreciates, and whatever you depreciate, depreciates. So it's good to just try to keep your spirits up and to play with whatever part you need. And just know, as you probably already do, that you're going to come up with something in a few hours or by the end of the week or however long it takes. I mean, some songs take months or years, but some songs you've done in an hour. It's just amazing. And it's so much fun playing with the pieces that make up all these songs because they seem like they come out of nowhere. Mm. It's like Mm. magic, you know? So that euphoric feeling is a whole other brand of life force that I'm crazy about. And then I think, well, why, why am I not writing more often? Because it feels amazing to play with creation, to play with that power, you know? Absolutely. I've had such an interesting relationship with lyrics. Um, uh, like, I would say kind of halfway through last year, the, the, the pressure of lyrics has reduced dramatically. Oh, good. And, um, one of the main reasons there was um, a, a mostly conscious effort um, of looking through the albums that I really enjoy and um, talking to the artists that I love recording. Um, and I'm fortunate to, to work with amazing songwriters and the congruent line that was kind of drawn between all of them was the distinct lack of metaphor. And what they're writing is profoundly not not personal in terms of like self description, mm. in terms of their um, approach of describing a situation, how they can voice something in like one of the coolest ways. Like there's a song that I recorded mm. with a um, an artist called John Witherspoon, and it's called "Talk It Out," and it's a song about how him and his dad are separating. Uh, in in closeness over time Mm. it's one of the most beautiful things i've ever recorded his voice he sounds like john lennon which is amazing but like (laughs) his lyrical capabilities are ferocious the same goes for saint catherine's child she's got this tune that we recorded um called every generation and she wrote it about her father who was at that time very ill um uh she she actually almost won um, Americana Song of the Year at the AMAs. Um, awesome! This happened this 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 year with that song, uh, which is amazing. Um, but her distinct lack of metaphor in that song is just unbelievable. Um, huh. And when her and I started writing together on my stuff, um, I started to really enjoy the power of. Uh, when you can hop in a song halfway and within two lines, you know exactly what the song is about. It's <laughs> a magical moment. Uh, and the, 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 the chorus almost becomes like a callback to the overall thing. Hmm. And, and the verses progress time, you know. And it was this beautiful like relief moment. It's like if I sing about something that I really, really care about or really feel honestly, hmm have to come up with anything i don't have to reach too far um and again maybe in six months this will change completely because that's what happens creatively but Mm. right now i'm loving being able to write um 
what I'm feeling in a way that feels completely honest. And as you get older, you start to see the shape of relationships, not necessarily romantic ones, but like there's the space in between happy and sad or sad. Mm. There's these these little markers halfway between these big emotions that are really beautiful to write about. And I've started to really enjoy that. And sometimes Mm. exactly how it is. And sometimes you have to tee it up and then pay it off. And it's like a really nice feeling to go like, but I already know how the story goes, you know. Um, how much of it do you feel is coming through in the lyric and how much is in the harmony or the melody? Because I feel like the production enhances all of that and sometimes gives it the more uh, poignant meaning that I need. <laughs> um, I think that it depends. Like if you asked me this question two years ago, I would say probably 60, 40, 60 lyrics, 40% production. Mm-hmm. Now, 95.5, I think, like, the production part of it, uh, which sounds like the weirdest thing to say as a record producer, but, like, (laughs) when I sit with an artist or with myself and I play the song on an acoustic guitar or on the upright or whatever, um, if it hits in a specific way, if it makes me feel the feeling that that elated thing yeah and the role of the production is is to not mess it up um and that is the power of a great tune you know mm-hmm. and i think i've worked on a lot of recordings where and a lot of them are on my youtube channel as well where the production got the song over the line because the song wasn't strong enough mm. so that was like objectively not strong enough you know so mm-hmm. uh, you can kind of use production to seduce the listener to stay for longer. Right. Uh, and then at the end of it, you're like, thank God they stayed. The production. <laughs> um, but, but the song it, was nothing there. <laughs> the song was, was, was just the door, you know, at the production, <laughs> you know, um, but it's so much more interesting when you realize that you're working on a song or you've written a song where, the listener is excited to hear what the bridge does because the bridge is the moment where everything pulls into focus. Mm. And if you structure the, the story right, like St. Catherine's Child is really good at this, but like um, if you structure the story right, the bridge is like, it it has to happen. It has to happen. You know? <laughs> um, so at that point, the sound of the snare drum is less important. You know? <laughs> Uh, then how well everything is supporting the lyric, you know, I think things yeah. like my choice, that kind of stuff can amplify mm. the message of a song. Um, but I think that it's not as important as I thought it was, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it's, you know, it's the old story of yesterday, the Beatles tune. Mm. If they did a, big rocking arrangement of that song <laughs> been right and they had enough tools and power in their arsenal to arrange that however they wanted mm. the only way it was going to work was with a beautiful string section pole and a guitar that's it you know um it wouldn't have worked if it was done in back in the ussr style you know, <laughs> you know what i mean like, yeah well it's interesting because 
I used to like how George Martin was sort of invisible in a way with production style. He was more prominent there as an arranger. And then I used to think a really good producer was a good arranger. But then there are some producers, you know, who say, no, I'm part of the band. You know, like I'm controlling the dynamics. I'm controlling the flow with the compressors. I'm making that thing really pop or I'm taking care of, uh, making it what it turned into because you can listen to the basic tracks to instant karma and it just sounds like a band playing in the room and then you hear all that slapback delay and you go oh my god that's the tune you know mm-hmm. and it's the same with bob clearmountain with uh springsteen's born in the usa you know you hear that ba- basic track on um, mix with the masters and you go oh my god bruce is trying so hard and the band is just not backing him up. The band is not happening. And as soon as Bob puts that gunshot sound to that snare, <laughs> that's the song. So my brain goes back and forth between, I guess it's wisdom then to know what any particular song needs, of course, but you can't say like one way of producing is better than another because oh. they've each made hits, you know, and, and they've each made the song happen. So we know songs can be arranged and recorded in infinite ways but which one is speaking to you right now that you're going to release, I guess, you know? Absolutely, absolutely. I find it fa- like fascinating when you... Um, like one of my favorite examples is the Johnny Cash America Records where he was redoing mm. popular songs. Right. Was it the one with Trent Reznor? Was it the... Was it, what was the name of the tune? Um can't remember exactly the name of it now and that's going to kill me because when i'm driving home i'll be like ah that's what it was but (laughs) i thought thought that was the original like i i had never heard the the other version sure when i heard the johnny version i was like wow there's no way this could have been recorded like this is this is exactly how it was supposed to be well obviously shock of all shocks when when you hear the original is this massive heavy hitting tune (laughs) Um, and I think that sometimes the path of least resistance with regards to a band sound is obviously mm. wrong with that. Um, but when you break it down to its absolute bare bones, and as a man who's very sick singing this tune, um, the power of the song is amplified by 200%. You know? Yeah. That's and his that, sincerity. Oh his, his authenticity. Yeah. You can't yeah. beat that. But in, in, in how he's feeling at that moment as well, which is rough, you know. Exactly. But uh, like as soon as you said, which one is the original, it's like Phil Collins doing groovy kind of love uh, and the Sonny and Cher version. You're like, whoa, <laughs> that's the same song. Cause one I was ignoring and the other one I was crying. <laughs> I find it. I- I find it fascinating. And I love the fact that if you ask me this question next year this time, I'll answer it differently again. Oh, know? exactly. It's ever-evolving. <laughs> and getting back to uh, object writing for a second, that's more specific. You know, like one time I said, okay, window, go. Just for mm-hmm. 15 minutes, write everything you're thinking about about a window. And I'm like, I know I want to play with words, but this is ridiculous. I don't care about the damn window right now. But I wrote silly things like I can see through... I can see you. I was pretending somebody was standing outside and I could see them. It's like, I can't touch you, but you can see me. I can almost hear you. Uh, You know, I see the light. I see the this, whatever like that. And I was like, and you put it away. And then you come back with a music idea and you start singing it. 
and it turns into one of your favorite songs and you would have bet a million dollars that you would never put that in a tune, that it would never be that. Or I was writing about a painting and then all those descriptions about the painting and the layers of paint and stuff became a love song and I was using the descriptive, descriptive words to speak about people. And it all of a sudden sounded like I knew so much <laughs> about relationships because I was saying uh, shades of many ways about you instead of shades of many colors, because yes. I was looking at the shades of many colors and turned it into shades of many ways about you. So it's, it's nice to, like some people make complete opposite lists, like kidney rock, you know, or earth picture, or, you know, like they, they, yeah. they take like all the food and then all the places and all the verbs or all the nouns. Uh, Susan G. Wooldridge does word bags with like a whole bag of nouns, a whole bag of adjectives, a whole bag of, you know, whatever she needs and then just pulls things out randomly to just make sentences and just see what happens. And the same thing happened with uh, a title. I was playing with big magnets on my friend's fridge, all those word magnets. And I saw all these bunches of stupid little magnets. And I thought, where's a big magnet? I don't know. For some reason, my brain wanted a big word. So I saw the word shadow. I said, where's another big magnet? Uh, the, it, so, no, 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 big magnet. Oh, language shadow language oh my god so then i put out an album called shadow language you know and one of my writer friends said you're not going to tell your students that it came from that stupid magnetic word game on the fridge are you i said yes i am because yeah. people think that all these other artists that we love are superhuman and we're just mere mortals and and we're never going to aspire to that kind of level of creativity and we really all do it the same way yeah. you know they're just more famous for it, or they got, you know, published or, you know, a big hit record from it or whatever. But the idea came the same way. It was a dumb thing with a bunch of words that they were playing with, or they're walking down the street like John Lennon walking in Bermuda, and he sees a sign that says double fantasy. And he goes, there's a good title, you know. Yeah. So it's all around us. Absolutely. And like you were saying, like to, to, be aware of the fact that you can turn it on and turn it off. That's brilliant. Hundred percent, hundred percent. And it's such a privileged thing to be able to do as well. You know, I think that that's something that I don't have many regrets in life. But like to be able to understand that you can write what you're feeling or what you're seeing, and it doesn't have to be a song. You can just write about it. And that's it's nice. Like, it's so powerful and it's so important to do just like taking time for yourself. Like we were saying earlier. Yeah. Just, Cause you you're know. honoring your feelings and what you're thinking. And when you get it out of your head, it, it gives you a little space to do some new thinking. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And, and working it as a creative process, like that you do on a regular basis just feels healthy. You know, it just feels like you're alive and you're, Oh, I know. When, when, I, when I heard you say that it was so good for you, it made me think that, you know, what people don't realize is they get stumped by what can I write that the world needs to hear? Or what is the message I'm trying to bring to the world? Or what is it that I'm trying to say? Sometimes those, those questions are too big. But mm -hmm. if you start with what you already know and what you're already feeling, somebody is feeling that someplace. Yeah. As long as you're connecting to what you're doing, someone else will connect with it. You don't have to worry about that part. You just have to put your whole self into something, you know? That's it. 
I remember um, Jack Hunty, the guy who is in a band called Pamplemousse, uh, who also started Patreon, um, or he's currently the CEO of Patreon. Wow. Uh, he said, um, if you work on the most niche thing ever, let's say it's uh, collecting, um, I don't know, buttons that are only purple. And that was <laughs> like if it was the most niche thing that you could possibly imagine, right? Two million people ready for it. Yeah. That's like that's an actual statistic, you know. That's and, fantastic. You know, I think what you're saying there is is so so valuable. Don't write for everyone. Write for you, and it can change someone's life. You know, it's a whole different like whole different way of looking at it, and it's so important, and it's so true. Everything that's great in the world was a problem solved or something somebody felt that they expressed, you know, and it's, uh, it's, it's just the coolest thing in the world. You know? Yeah. That's really lovely. Mm. <laughs> well, what haven't we said? <laughs> Is there anything that you wanted to say or plug? Um, well, I've got one question for you that kind of popped up when we were talking about writing, but mm. we're moving into a new field at the moment with regards to artificial intelligence, um, and uh, part of me is extremely excited about it. Part of me is obviously terrified. Uh, <laughs> where are you sat? You've you've gone through several different mediums of technology through the through the span of your creative life. Um, mm -hmm. Many more to come, of course. But we're obviously on the precipice of something really massive. How mm -hmm. are you? I haven't tried it myself with anything yet, but being in terms of uh, loving gear and technology, I'm excited about it. I don't know what people are going to do with it. I like how I write and do things right now, so I don't see any reason to change it necessarily. But um, I guess when people start saying we're not going to be able to tell the difference between if that really was an old bootleg from so-and-so or if that's just computer-generated, that is going to have people scrambling for rights and... Uh, <laughs> Yeah. ownership i don't know how they're going to deal with all that but um the licensing side of things is going to get pretty intense right yeah and i remember getting an email from my dad back in 2006 or 7 i guess it was and steve jobs was introducing the very first iphone and i remember waking up that morning feeling all kind of like out of it and not looking forward to anything and not having anything on the schedule that day and just kind of dragging myself out of bed and watched, he read this video uh, email and he said, you've got to watch this video. It's long, but it's worth it. And I remember being so excited after seeing that, that I cried. So I keep relating it back to that. I just think something pretty cool is probably going to come with this. And uh, even though people are afraid of it, I'm sure there's going to be something about it I like eventually, but I haven't used it for anything. Have you? Yeah. Um, I've tried out a couple different things with it. I had a heated debate with my brother about it because he's he's in, <laughs> um, and um, I wouldn't say it was heated, but there was definitely a bit of like uh, back and forth on it. And you know, I said to him like, it's a bit scary, the thought that you could potentially train a large language model to write in a specific style. Mm. And, uh, we did a little exercise in his. Uh, this was back when uh, GPT was still on like version three, I think. And um, we said, um, let's write a song about um, heartbreak, just something very simple. And of course, 
it just spat out something a bit cheesy and a bit kind of thing and I was like ah you see this is ridiculous and my brother was like hang on and he said can you make it a bit more edgy Uh, next thing and I said could you make the verses more like how Phoebe Bridges would look at lyrics and then it changed the lyrics still being edgy but more like Phoebe Bridges and then it said um can you give us chords in uh because it's me it's like can you give us chords in the style of Sting to (laughs) and I started to spit out these things and then like I think what's fascinating is it's a tool, just yes. like Melodyne, quantizing, right? Tools for a long time, and obviously Pro Tools was the death of all music, right? Like when it came, <laughs> it's over, you know. And the airplane, and the train, and the car, and the exactly. <laughs> telephone, and the microwave, and <laughs> exactly. so I think like part of me is super excited about it because. Um, I'm currently working on 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 something at the moment where I'm training a large language model to learn how I write. So like giving a synopsis of a song and then writing the lyrics of it, mm. explaining how it works. And then slowly but surely, I've got to get through all 50 of these tunes. But like <laughs> if I'm stuck, verse <laughs> two, line two is always the worst, right? It's like you get to that moment. You know how the verse is going to be paid off. You know how you're teeing it up, but there's just these two lines in the middle of that verse. Exactly. <laughs> Songwriting session. And I was like, can you imagine just getting one word? What I would do for a word, you I know? know? I get desperate for one word too. One word, you know? And um, I think in that way, it's kind of like, if I think a drum part's pretty cool, I might just quantize it and just see how it feels and go like, okay, that is pretty interesting. Now let me nail it and kind of mm. go back, you know. But there's right. like a level of discipline and perhaps ego that pulls me in that direction. Mm. Um, so in that way, I'm quite excited to see how AI is going to, just purely from a lyrical standpoint, help and kind of move things forward and almost like check if there's a better if it thinks you might be able to nail that rhyme better, mm-hmm. like it might say something like, I like the way you've done this, but if you try it like this, it might flow a bit better within the meter of what you're trying to do, you know? Does it give direction like that? I can do. Wow. So now are, whatever you're contributing to it, is it in a private way that you can keep your voice yours or is your voice now available to everybody? Currently, I think it's uh, per like chat, you know, so I think it's your inputs to it. And then but that, that whole chat is going to sound like Alec Britt's. I believe so. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Because I've God. heard of these people that are trying to come up with uh, a format or an interface type of program where you have to pay to keep your thing yours. So it doesn't sp- spill out for the masses to use your language, let's say. Yeah, I mean, perhaps. I don't know enough about it to have a strong opinion on it yet. You know? Yeah. Um, I like, just do like my choices and the way I do things that I just don't put stuff in the cloud and I don't, you yeah. know, I put my music out but when it's done, but it's got my name on it, you know? So I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I, I feel like, you know, every generation you look, you look back, you know, and like, the, there was people that put asbestos in roots and they were they the people who made this asbestos knew it wasn't a great idea but they still did it and then you know oh. their kids were like 
ah, I can't believe you did that. And then there was like the smoking generation and whatever. <laughs> I think like when I have kids, like my kids will be like, how did you give away so much data? Like, what's <laughs> what were you like, thinking, dad? <laughs> um, I think in that way, I'm obviously quite sensitive or perhaps a bit nervous about the, mm -hmm. the aspect of these tools that are coming our way. But in so many other ways, I'm also so excited. For yeah. But I like your thought, though, of like, I just need a word. I mean, I'm like, look through a magazine quick or open up a newspaper or, you know, rhyming dictionary and a thesaurus. You know, it's, it, it's, it's a tool. It'd be so cool to have something finish something like that and just nail it. And you go, oh, my God, that was great. Like, you just get to it a lot sooner. Yes. But like, I remember uh, even the font they use for finale has all the music symbols. I thought, what if I just take a regular paragraph of words in a word processor and change it to that font and see what chords it comes up with, see if there's anything interesting. <laughs> I didn't find anything. I only tried it once, but <laughs> it's the same kind of idea, I think. <laughs> no, absolutely. Absolutely. I don't know. <laughs> I, am, I am genuinely very excited about it. Is there yeah. anything that that's coming up for you or that you're excited about moving into 2024? Is there anything that you're kind of feeling curious or excited about that you're about to embark upon? Um, riding the Can-Am when it's above 45 degrees. <laughs> because in my mono suit, it's been okay, but it's like, whoo, <laughs> like, I don't even like winter sports. What am I doing out here? And when it's any colder than that. So that, that'll be interesting to see what those adventures bring. But uh, mostly there was a little bit of time off from being down here in the studio. Uh, I had talked to so many people and it got to the point where like no idea is a good idea yeah. <laughs> that I needed a break. So I'm looking forward now to come back with a fresh brain and to uh, enjoy all this cool stuff in some new ways. I think I've always wished somebody like you live nearby and say, have you tried this? You can do this. Did you ever hook it up this way? You know, like that's, I don't even know the possibilities. There's so many. And mm -hmm. I originally have all my IOs in the patch bays over there, just doing the regular IO plugin with logic. But like yours, your console is the centerpiece. Yes. Of your studio. Right. Um, so I still have that as separate. This is separate or any combination in between with everybody hybrid and I'm I'm not sure if I'm going to change anything or make a plunge to go one way or the other, you know. Yeah, I I am uh not one for advice. <laughs> but what, what I will say is like <laughs> is there any distance between you and the idea you currently have or that moment when you're like you've just finished rinsing out a mug at the sink and you go like <laughs> I need this now. Um, whatever is a delay between the initial idea and you picking up a guitar or turning on a mic, yeah, is a very hard no. So, like, in this, <laughs> like, I have changed the entire studio around since my original studio tour to now, mm. where everything is wired in all the time. Nice, like. If you said to me, you know, uh, I'm going to send you something, I'd be able to put down piano, bass and drums within about an hour, you know, and it's like, wow. that's recorded, you know, um, yeah. 
want to have to set up anything. I don't want to have to think about setting up anything. Right. Uh, where past, I'd have to be like, okay. <laughs> so for me, simple systems allow for the greater quality to come out the back of it. You know, yeah. so to the point where now I've got two Apollo X16s and I'm like, I would like to sell those and get one Lynx Aurora N32 in and out because right. that is still, there's still too much going on. There's too I know many, what you're saying. You know, and my I'm, Mac is overheating all the time. Wow. I have a 2019 Mac and I have two fans under it. <laughs> it's sitting on things, but every once in a while it's just too hot and everything starts blinking and going crazy and glitching and in and out of record. It pops. Thing, and I'm like, I'm in the middle of singing here. <laughs> you know, like it's so mad. Yeah. Whatever, whatever can be simplified, you know? Yeah. Like I think as, as time goes, I will sell the audience and I will get a bigger desk, but really? if I can have the same mic pre's, the same EQs across everything and have beautiful analog outboard effects, mm-hmm. um, that's like the dream. And the next step is to get a radar machine. And like, just completely get out of the computer, you know? Wow. Uh, because the radar lets you do the digital editing, but it's a completely standalone thing. Yeah. And you can run Pro Tools on it. So it's like, but it's only that machine, you know? Right, right. now, I'm talking to you on the machine that I watch series on. I'm talking to you on the machine that's recording everything I ever work on. I'm talking <laughs> to you that record that does all of my video editing. Yeah. It's- machine that does everything which fits in my remit of least things possible uh, but i would really love to also not have to look at a screen i know me too like go that way and the radar seems to be not only sonically head and shoulders above everything else but Mm -hmm. work-wise it's going to force me to be a better musician because you just have to work harder you You have to listen (laughs) you know so that's exciting. That's why I got the one-inch tape machine, because it looked like my Tascam 38, and it was 16 tracks, but I haven't used it yet for one whole song. You know, I've, I've used it for pieces of songs, and that might not be true. I think a lot of it was recorded on a song of mine called uh, uh, Seasonal Blues. I think I did that whole thing to, to tape, but then I mixed it in the box, you know? Yeah. So, I don't know. When the computer gives me trouble i go i'm going back to tape and then when i can't edit or do anything good on tape i'm like i'm going back to the computer <laughs> why can't they give us some they can send a man to the moon why can't they? <laughs> but a few people have now said you should go to radar <laughs> yeah well i mean obviously for someone like you your your musicality and your abilities will allow that to happen in a in, in somewhat of an effortless fashion i think like I think it's not the right machine for a lot of people. I think mm. for a lot of people, the sound of their editing is as powerful as the sound of their playing, which is not a bad thing. It's just a different instrument, you know. Mm. Uh, but I think if you are there for light editing and mostly performance, yeah. the radar is an extremely powerful tool. It's just a digital recorder, basically. Yeah. And they sound amazing, obviously. Like, they've got a totally different sound to them, you know? Really? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you should watch... Um, Rick Beato did a thing with um, the guy who produced U2 and a bunch of other things. Uh, what's his name? Daniel Lenoir. Yeah. 
and he talks about it a bit there. Um, but it's it's fascinating. It's really fascinating, and it's something that I'm busy training my assistants at the moment because I don't want to sit uh, hitting record all day. I want to be musically involved, and the performance mm. record as many people at the same time as I possibly can. Mm-hmm. As tight as possible, the best players to kick my ass every day. That's exciting, that, yeah. That side of it makes everything better. Yeah. And anything that distracts from that is not worth it, you know. So I know, and I've come to realize that throwing everything in a ton of patch base doesn't make things any faster. It's just like you have to always set up what you're doing next. And just like a regular studio, there's take a break because we're going to redo the, and, and that doesn't make any sense. It's like it really should be how you would like to work. Yes. And I'm, I guess maybe this year I, I'll find new ways that I like to work. Because in a lot of sense, unless I'm recording drums or a whole band, I don't even need the console. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. But I was missing it. And then I realized, you're so fast in the box. What are you doing with a console? <laughs> you got it's such a delicate balance, man. Like for me, my first Apollo drives the console. And the outputs of the console are directly wired into the Apollo. And the inputs of my long faders are the first 16 outputs of the Apollo. So like mm-hmm. everything so integrated i can record a drum kit in here with almost no patch bay mm-hmm. uh, except for the xlr going into the de- into the console and the rest all happens automatically um and i think that like using the console's eqs during mixing is wonderful mm-hmm. uh, but that's after maybe some corrective eq in the box no no i just, just I, recording I, it beautifully and then just mixing it beautifully yeah that's it you know small nice. across both uh, and that's where the console wins for me where i'm like ah okay i can do both um, mm-hmm. but again you know I, I do think this this particular console's days are numbered uh until such a time that i could get like a 2448 like the api or the mm. new gen nice wow if i could have as little outboard gear as possible and a great sounding desk i think it would be the best you know like a lot of stuff built into the desk yeah. dsp stuff no no analog bits man analog bits would be the best way to go yeah yeah, yeah. One just run- not much outboard gear at all just not much effects or any of those problems i want to i want to have the analog effects like i'd love to have some of the original eventide units i think they sound beautiful specifically yeah 3000s they sound great right and the um I'd love a pair of Bricastis as well. They sound amazing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Have you done Seventh Heaven? Yes. The plug, that, that's lovely. It's on every mix I do. I'm not even kidding. Like, I know. Me too. Um, but yeah, I would love that. And I'd just love my compression to be, if the console had great compressors, then great. But most mm. of the that I'm looking at don't have the kind of compression I'm looking for. Right. Um, Do you use this onboard compressor much? Because I find that everything comes in way too hot from it. I can barely ever use it because it cracks down on something so aggressively. The gain staging to the console is really important. So like um, my Apollos are set to plus 24. uh, And when I'm recording in Logic, I try and record to zero VU, which I think is minus 14 on the Logic scale. And that's kind of zero for the desk. So when I'm sending things, when I'm sending things through to the console, my my threshold is pretty much like almost wide open most of the time. Mm. Um, 
and I don't want to see the light turn on because when the light turns on, exactly, three dBs. But if I take the compressor out, then the mix falls apart. Oh. So like, I make sure that in in Logic, when you send stuff out, you've got your output faders right at the end. Mm-hmm. So sometimes if the mix is feeling a bit too heavy, then I just pull them down by like five dB. Yeah, uh, and then the console breathes a bit more, but. The thing that I love about this desk that I missed when I was in the box was when you hit the console hard, it doesn't break up. It just bends a little bit. And it's yeah. good. Whereas it's a in the nice box, thing. you just hit this wall and it's like, you know, you remember when you used to put like a stocking over your face? You know? <laughs> Never did that, but I didn't like the way it looked on <laughs> other people. <laughs> right now I have my... Uh, logic returns coming here as well as the one inch tape machine. So the one inch is the coolest because it's like it goes in and it comes right back, you know, but logic, I still have to output it to each, uh, you know, sub bus. And, you know, it's like every project, I wish you could do it globally so that you don't have to do it for every song, you know, but then you've got to just use a template and I don't record the same way. So not every song needs the same template. So there's like, no matter which way I go, I don't find an actual solution. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's hard to kind of commit down. And I think I've kind of found it freeing more recently to be like, on my Apollos, it's literally labeled like Apollo input number one is kick. Like it doesn't mm-hmm. even Apollo. It's just, it's mm-hmm. always it's always in the same place. Everything yep. is labeled out exactly how I want it. I have um, that labeled that way too. Just so that I don't have the option of, of doing it differently, you know. But it's got the built-in console. So if the console isn't set up properly, then that's interfering, you know. Mm-hmm. Or you forget that you have a plug-in on that's active. <laughs> it's like, I've got two consoles. Oh, God. <laughs> Why did I buy an Apollo? Because they had the best di- uh, digital-to-audio converters at the time. You're like, oh. You know, so... <laughs> and, and then... Recently, I made the mistake because I've had this computer offline for many, many years. I made the mistake of unplugging my iLock, thinking it probably shouldn't be here. It should probably be over there. Everything wants to go back out online and re-initialize and everything is out of date. And I thought, well, you know, you're just going to have to make peace with this. If you lose half your plugins because you've got all this old stuff... Maybe it'll help simplify your life. Just do outboard gear. If you record everything with the right sound that you like, all you got to do is combine later. You don't have to do anything with plugins, you know? So, I don't know. It's one of those. (laughs) (laughs) I I find myself using less and less plugins, man. You know, Mm -hmm. the best plugin you've got is the distance between you and the mic. So, it's like you can... just by not being and it's because the youtube channel that i've had to learn that because you can't eq you can't do anything so it's all flat you know you just right and um it's been so freeing like yeah doing that and then using the console or outboard to do most of my eqing is all done on on the outboard now and Mm. uh, look at a, a final mix of mine there's every plugin is is an effect as opposed to a correction tool, you know, so. Wow, so great. I love it. Well, this has been really awesome and very generous of you, and I just appreciate you so much. I love your videos. I love your vibe. I love your music. I love your playing. I think you're a really great teacher, too. So uh, thank you for all those videos, and uh, 
thanks for all the cool work you do. And but you know, thank you so much for doing this too. Of course, thank you so much for doing everything you do and inspiring many generations of great musicians. You know, very appreciated. And I know uh, it's like I over ten thousand students by now. <laughs> <All right. laughs> it's amazing. God help me. <laughs> uh, I think you're an absolutely wonderful person and the world is so much better for you being in it. So thank you. Thank you for That's being That's definitely here. true for you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, Alex. Amazing. I'll chat to you soon, Lauren. Ciao. That was Alec Brits. Thanks so much, Alec. Loved that. So much fun to be with you. If you'd like to learn about some latest gear, if you want to see his photographs, if you want to hear the mixes he's been working on, go to thecabinrecordings.com, go to his Instagram channel, Alec Brits, visit his YouTube channel, and stay open to your own green light. Follow what matters for you. This is Creative Conversations with Lauren Passarelli. Thank you to Alec Brits. And thank you all for listening. Now go to your studio and make stuff. We've been troubled. Out of focus. Fortress of puddles. Balancing night.